This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey everyone, it is part two of the Boppies. If you haven't heard part one of the show, just, you know, it'll be the earlier episode. I'm Matt Robeson, joined once again, five minutes later, by Alicia Preston, Paul Hodes, <laughs> our panel. We are handing out end of year awards in categories that we've made up. This is sort of our take on, you know, end of season award shows. And uh, we are going through it. We've already handed out awards for MVP for the Democrats, MVP for the Republicans, Prosecutor of the Year, a new category that we hope will end pretty soon. Best Achievement in Legislation, where we decided absolutely nothing deserves Best Achievement in Legislation and news story of the year. And now we are going to turn to, oh, this is a classic. We always love doing these, and unfortunately it turns into um, a little bit of a reading exercise, but it's worth it. We're going to turn to most interesting public opinion research story. So every year there's a ton of polling done about people's attitudes and opinions and vibes. Apparently people's vibes determine the economy now, despite whatever exogenous data says so whatever okay exogenous. and so exogenous. exogenous what word did you make up before excoriate excoriate i don't think that's a thing i, I, I think you might have been excoriate excoriate is that I like, where we're going with this i i think excoriate but excoriate sounds like it's being done by the exorcist it's like excoriate is, is a better version of excoriate okay. it's got an extra c in there also it sounds to me like it's something you would do while intoning the power of Christ compels you and someone's next. Excorciate. I like right. excorciate. Here we go. The most interesting public opinion research story in no particular order. A record high share of 40 year olds in the U.S. have never been married, according to U.S. Census Bureau data. As of 2021, a quarter of 40 year olds had never been married up from 6% in 1980. All right. That's I, saw, I saw that. Story number two. So marriage is down is the point. Number two, about half of Americans say the increased use of artificial intelligence in daily life makes them more concerned than excited up 14 percentage points from last year. Good job, guys. You've caught on to the Skynet trend. Number three, for the first time in over 30 years of public opinion polling, Americans' views of the U.S. Supreme Court are more negative than positive. Strong feelings about that one. Number four, a growing share of U.S. adults say the federal government should take steps to restrict false information online, even if it limits freedom of information. We should talk about that. Number five, nearly half of U.S. workers who get paid time off don't take all the time off that their employer offers. But what are we on? Number six, an overwhelming majority of Americans, 79%, 
express a negative sentiment when asked to describe politics in the U.S. these days. And finally, lucky number seven, the share of Americans who say science has had a mostly positive effect on society has declined since 2019. Oh, no. Before the coronavirus outbreak, 57% now say that science has a mostly positive effect on society, down from 73% only four years ago. All right, guys, what is your most interesting public opinion research story of the year? That's a tough Mm. one. That's a tough tough category. I'm going to go with the, well, I have a 40-year-old unmarried son. He's very happily in a great relationship, but they have no intention on getting married. And Your son is 40 now? My son is 40. How uh-huh. did I get so old? This yeah. is insane. Yeah, All right, right, go on, go on. And it, so he's in this. He's in a wonderful, loving, supportive relationship. They don't plan on getting married. And I think that in terms of fundamental societal shifts, the marriage issue is but one indicator of some fundamental societal shifts that are happening with millennials who are next in line or to take power, to exercise power, to help redirect society, this this crazy world that we baby boomers have totally screwed up and left them. The millennials will are now leading us in different directions. And the attitudes of millennials and those behind them whether it's about marriage or race or gender uh, or politics, which relates to your other category about people's views, negative views about politics, are are critical uh, because my sense is that there's a lot more openness to diversity, to inclusion, to changing what what we have left in this society with the current regressive spasm of politics. There's less interest in party politics and fundamentally more acceptance of people as individuals who love who they love, who are who they are, whose color of skin doesn't define them as humans. And hopefully for me, that's a source of hope. It's actually, it's not that it's good news in terms of the institution of marriage. We could argue about that, but there is good news in what I see as more openness and acceptance of diversity in coming generations. Alicia? A few of these stand out to me. One in particular, because it just generally creeps me out, is artificial intelligence. The more it advances, I think the creepier the world gets and more like sci-fi movies that were made in the 80s. A report just came out the other day, and I think this happened in 2021. It might have been 2022, but it was just released, that a robot at a Tesla factory attacked an engineer literally attacked an engineer like this stuff is just getting and he got injured like badly like it's oh, i was about to make a movie. joke about that so now i feel bad i was like no why not like, go after elon musk cut off the head of the snake but he got sincerely injured because the robot attacked him and they couldn't get the robot to stop like this is all just getting weird and creepy and technology might be advancing faster than society should want it to and there are engineers out there who have said they regret creating some of the things they've created because then the next steps happen the next steps and it goes too far and so and now let's not forget you've got like chat gp whatever that chat thing is you know they're GP. getting sued thank you chat gpt um, plus yes they're getting sued by meta now because they're copywriting it i mean 
it's just all too artificial intelligence is just too much. It's weird. And, and I want to go back to 1983. 1983 had some things to recommend it. But, you know, I this is interesting. It, it, it's interesting to me that your reactions kind of go along these lines. Paul picking out, look, there. what we're seeing is a change of generational attitudes. And now we're seeing that more and more reflected in our survey research data, right? As millennial opinions become sort of the dominant, like they're millennials are reaching middle age. And so as they kind of become the mainstream of American thought, we're seeing their attitudes kind of dominate more and more of what we measure as what Americans think. And you're finding some positives in that. And Alicia, you're sort of seeing that you're sort of reflecting a classic conservative mindset that I think a lot of Americans are feeling, which is, hold on, are we sure that all of the change that we're seeing is well-considered, well-thought-out, and at the right pace? I think those are both fascinating. And I, to me, I was going to say the Supreme Court is a bad one because, to me, we need the Supreme Court now more than ever as a trusted arbiter of decisions, and the loss of that is really significant. But I think we knew that already, so I'm not going to pick on that one. To me, I'm going to pick up on what Alicia was saying and say that what stands out is the share of Americans who say science has had a mostly positive effect on society going down 14 points. I think this is real. I think this is really scary. I think this is really negative. For one thing, if we have another pandemic, who here thinks that we are going to deal with it as well as we did with COVID? I think there's almost no chance. Because now people will fight tooth and nail against all of the needed public health steps. It will immediately become a partisan issue. We are so much worse off than we were four years ago to deal with a public health emergency. But more broadly beyond that, in 1957, when we had our Sputnik moment, there was a generational shift. There was a fundamental mental shift in America toward elevating the importance of science and, and technical advance. And because of that, I just read the book, Doug, uh, Douglas Brinkley's book, American Moonshot, that talks about this fundamental change in psychology that led to JFK declaring we were going to go to the moon. And everything that went with the moonshot effort created the modern world. All of the technology that we developed as part of that, everything in computing, everything in GPS, lasers, medical technology, materials science, computing, everything in the modern world around us came out of that 10-year burst of investment in science, mostly federal investment in science. I wrote my graduate school thesis on the importance of federal investment in science and tech. I argued that federal R&D was the most important thing that the federal government does. The most important thing. It has the most long-term impact on our society and on our economy. And I'm beginning to feel like apparently many of my fellow Americans feel, and like you're feeling, Alicia, I'm beginning to worry that we haven't thought through all of the unintended consequences of the technologies we're creating. But I think that opinion is in itself dangerous. I'm worried about the fact that we have reversed the process that that science no longer occupies that position, and it's going to se severely hinder further breakthroughs that benefit, that genuinely benefit us in our lives, and we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. So for all of our concern about chat GPT and AI and maybe overreaching when it comes to public health steps, 
we're going to throw out all of the truly beneficial science that saves lives and makes us better off. And with that thought, I want to introduce to you our next category, most interesting science story of the year. And I want to see how you react to it. So here we go. Here are, the, here are nominees. Feel free to go off the board as always. Number one, India's lunar lander reaches the dark side of the moon. Pretty cool. Uh, number two, AI finally went mainstream. That is an interesting science story, depending on how you uh, feel about interesting. Number three, we've discovered that humans emerged from Africa a quarter million years ago, multiple times, way earlier, and mixed with Neanderthals way earlier than we thought. Number four, this was several times. The Not only do we reach new records for hottest week, hottest day, hottest month, we also had the hottest year on record. Great. What are we on? Number five, new CRISPR therapy for sickle cell disease. And I'm going to mispronounce this condition, beta thalassemia. I think I did pretty well with that. And finally, Wagovi, Ozempic, and the weight loss medicine wave. So those are our nominees for most interesting science story. What do you think? Alicia, you go first. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. I think these are interesting. Let me start with the bottom, the whole Ozempic weight loss medicine. That's a fascinating one because, number one, I'm concerned, and I don't know the answer, what the results of that will, will be on the body in five to ten years. It wasn't created as a weight loss drug. It was created for diabetes. The other thing which is concerning for society is people who needed these drugs for diabetes weren't able to get it when it became this flash fad because – Doctors were prescribing it to people who simply wanted weight loss without necessarily needing it for diabetes. And I think we have to look at regulatory things to go along with that so that in the future, there aren't shortages for those that need it for their health and well-being in order for those who want it for their physical appearances. I love anything to do with space. So the India, India's lunar landing is cool. We've discussed AI. But I'll tell you what might be the most interesting to me is the humans leaving Africa earlier than anticipated by the tune of as many as 40,000 years. Apparently, they did DNA testing on fossils found in a cave in Israel to determine that it was about 180,000 years ago, which would have been 40,000 years prior to when they thought humans left Africa. And I just always find that kind of science really cool. There's a place where modern technology comes in handy. So first of all, I, I love the idea of a weight loss drug, uh, although I haven't used it. I sure could use it, uh, drop a few pounds. That'd be fun. Number two, um, I really uh, appreciate hearing about uh, humans intermixing with Neanderthals early, um, earlier than thought, because that explains the current state of the Republican Party. That the uh, <laughs> the Intel's get a bad rap, man. <laughs> you know, and for for those of you who aren't on video, Alicia just spat her coffee because she under, had she, symbolic. She, she understands, symbolic ritual. but yes, she understands. Language. Yeah, right. She understands the George Santos, Matt Gates, Lauren Boebert affection for Neanderthals. The and and I like landing on the moon. That's always fun because the moon is made of green cheese. But the overwhelming existential story for humankind happens to be the fact that we're sitting here in at the end of December, the end of the year, uh, up in uh, wonderful New England, and it's warm, people, and it's it's really a little bit a little bit crazy 
that it's so warm and it's the fact that humankind doesn't appear to accept 100% that we are in a state of climate emergency is a real challenge for us. There's a climate emergency and it requires such wholesale change in our economy in certainly of the developed nation's economy, the way we do business, the way we live. Not that I think our quality of life will decline because of any changes we need to make, but the changes are huge. We need to make them. We're not making them fast enough. And people, I'm worried. I am going to go with the CRISPR therapy. And the reason is not just because of the incredible, helpful impact that it could have for literally millions of people around the world who suffer from debilitating pain of having sickle cell disease and sickle cell crises, but also for what it augurs for the future. Since the discovery, the Nobel Prize winning discovery of the CRISPR-Cas9 mechanism, it has been predicted by scientists that we would have a new class of therapies within a decade that would make changes to living people at the genetic level and would be able to cure diseases. And now we have one, we have a real one. And it's both good for all of those people suffering from these terrible diseases, but also it just opens up this vast vista of potential therapies for all kinds of diseases, uh, cancer, multiple sclerosis, ALS, uh, all of the things that ail humanity there is potential for massive biomedical progress in the next decade or two. Not even included in this story is the fact that the discovery of the CRISPR-Cas9 mechanism, it was this genetic sequence that they found in a microorganism. Since that discovery, they have found other similar genetic sequences that can do the same thing, that basically act like a pair of scissors that let you go into a gene, cut out a piece, and insert something else. And that, again, just opens up this vast panorama of the future. And, it, you know, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword. It means that we can change people. There, there are dystopian scenarios that come out of this, but I choose to look at the more hopeful side of it and say, look, you know, we are going to, when we do this show in 10 years, right, or the AI versions of us do this show in 10 years, I predict that the major, when we do most interesting science stories and when we do the next category, best good news story of the year, it's gonna be dominated by biomedical advances like this kind of thing. So great news for the people who, it's still very expensive. It's like $2 million a pop, but these prices will come down and this kind of therapy will advance. So I'm going CRISPR. All right, best piece of good news. Here we go, I'll try and, bang through this as fast as possible. The joint UN program on HIV and AIDS announced that there is now a clear pathway to ending AIDS transmission by 2030. Uh, number two, we have a, this is a group of stories on nations defeating debilitating and deadly diseases. Bangladesh eliminated again. I'm going to mispronounce this. Visceral leishmaniasis. Iraq became the 17th country to eliminate trachoma the world's leading cause of infectious blindness. And the new malaria vaccine is believed to offer up to 80% protection 
and from the disease and experts claim it is going to save thousands of lives a year, many of them among children. Sorry, that was a long one. That was all part of number two. Uh, number three, 23 scientists believe that two new drugs may mark the beginning of the end for Alzheimer's. Uh, it's not a cure, but there are now two new drugs that can slow the progression of the disease. Number four, a grab bag of notable breakthroughs in the treatment of cancer. A new cervical cancer treatment, for example, was described as the biggest improvement in outcome in this disease in over 20 years. What are we on here? Five, the rise of renewables became unstoppable, according to the International Energy Agency, with renewables providing half the world's electricity by 2030. The holy grail of energy moved closer as in 2023, scientists achieved ignition, getting more energy out of fusion than what they put in. And finally, a dramatic turnaround in the Amazon as Amazon Conservation, a nonprofit that monitors the rainforest across nine countries, said that deforestation rates are down 55.8% compared to 2022. What's your best piece of good news there, guys? That's, that's a lot of very good stuff. It makes me so happy. I'm happy to hear about renewables. I'm happy to hear about the Amazon. I'm happy to hear about the drugs. Oh, boy, I'm jumping up and down. I like the renewables. That's a little slow, but, hey, it's coming along. But I think you've missed it. The, the best piece of good news is that Time Magazine chose Taylor Swift as Person of the Year. That, to me, caused everybody in the world to smile because, you know, she's a pop star. She writes catchy tunes. She seems to be a nice person. And that's the kind of thing that is so rare on the cover of Time. So, I, you know, let's all just give kudos to Taylor Swift. Millions of lives saved around the world. Absolutely. But Paul wants to go with the Swifties. All right, Alicia. I don't know. I like a lot of these things. I like a lot of the medical advancements. But I'm going to have to choose the advancement in the treatment of Alzheimer's. My Grammy, who was one of my favorite people to ever walk the planet, suffered from Alzheimer's in her later years of life. You've never lived with, tried to take care of, and been with someone who is suffering the later years of Alzheimer's, it's hard to describe how difficult it is to watch. And so any advancement on that front, I wish it came 25 years ago, but I'm glad that it's here now. All seriousness, I tend to agree with you in terms of personal impact. My mother-in-law suffered from Alzheimer's. It caused, it was a real, it's a real challenge. Alzheimer's strips people of their personalities. It's hell on families and caregivers. It's it's just awful. And the new drugs that have recently come out, while they do not cure Alzheimer's, seem to have some effect in stripping away essentially the plaque, the amyloid plaque that forms and seems to at least lessen cognitive design, uh, cognitive decline. You did that intentionally, didn't you? No, I didn't. Uh, I'm just uh, gen general tongue-tied, you know me. So I think that's, from a personal standpoint, it has a, an awful lot of, an awful lot of impact, especially, you know, I, I'm getting older. A lot of people I know are getting older and it's, that's, it's really, that's, it just hits home. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. Yeah, that's a huge one. And I guess I'll just shout out too. I mean, 
coming off of a couple of weeks ago, having the Lambda Legal CEO, Kevin Jennings, on the show and talking a lot, kind of going down a really sad memory lane to the 80s, the emergence of the AIDS crisis, the sense of horror that we all felt about what was at the time a death sentence, and the headlines that we then lived through in the early 1990s about AIDS in Africa and how it was a death sentence for millions, mostly children, and how we've talked about on this show, due to the efforts, the PEPFAR program, the, a program created by George W. Bush, we've now saved 21 million lives, in, mostly in Africa, because of access to new HIV medications. Now the prospect of ending AIDS transmission in the next seven years, that is a piece of a Downing good news. I give a strong vote to that one. The only other one, I, I know we talked about this last year and it always feels like fusion is the future and it always will be, but achieving ignition is a big deal. And you know, Paul, you talk climate change. Well, I'm not gonna say climate change. That's a euphemism. Global warming is a BFD. You focus on it a lot. And these are our linked stories here. The fact that we have a prospect of having a stable, fusion reaction, near limitless energy, almost limitless energy. It just takes, it takes science people. It takes federal R&D. It takes an investment from all of us as taxpayers in saying, we want to manifest this future. And if we can unlock it, think about what it would mean for geopolitics, for human well-being, and for our future, if we had near limitless, clean energy, that one may be the biggest one in my mind. All right, we're, we're rounding the bend toward the end here. We end with two kind of fun categories. Biggest idiot. This is just, I, this is everyone's favorite category. Here are my nominees. You guys do whatever you want. We got Lauren Boebert. The, what, what do they call them in Nazi Germany? The Gropenführer. We've got the, we've got the, <laughs> she was the Gropee, not the Groper. We've got George Santos coming to us from the Indian lunar lander on the dark side of the moon. So congratulations, astronaut George. We've got Marjorie Taylor Greene, who dressed up like Cruella DeVille and shouted, you lie at the State of the Union, just always a class act from MTG. We've got Jamal Bowman, who uh, decided to pull a fire alarm for no reason in falsely. That, that was great. We've got Mark Wayne Mullen, who's an actual U.S. senator who challenged a witness at a congressional hearing to a fight and started taking off his jacket. So that was sweet. Bernie Sanders had to break that up. Paul, go ahead. I know you want to. Oh, God, it's almost, it's too good to be true. You know, there's something. No, I thought you wanted to do your Bernie Sanders. Oh. oh. I've got more idiots. You don't want, you don't want me to finish the you, idiot you, list? Listen, you're acting like millionaires and billionaires. Stop fighting. George Mullen, put your jacket back on. You George. look stupid. That, that's what the people wanted. All right, let me finish the list. Donald Trump, uh. do I need to explain why? We've got, we've got crazy eyes making forehead Matt Gates for well, for reasons that also don't need explaining. And then we finally got this recent story, a late entry into the field, Joe Rogan, who devoted an extended segment on his show to accusing Joe Biden of a gaffe of saying, you know, the problem in the Revolutionary War was that they couldn't take over all the airports. And then his producer live literally had to come whisper in his ear, Joe, that was Donald Trump who actually said that, not <laughs> Joe Biden. And he was like, oh, well, anyway, Joe Biden's still terrible. What an idiot. What an idiot. All right. Which of these noble idiots would you like to award? I want a group category for the Republican Party. 
there are just too many candidates from the Republican Party to be real. Nobody would ever believe that the grand old party, the party of Lincoln, would have descended to have so many candidates in the category of stupid effing idiots as we have starting at the top from Donald Trump or the bottom, as it were, right up through Gates and Santos. And I mean, it just goes Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene. I mean, when you when you put up that rogues gallery of idiots and, and we'll put Rogan in there, the whole MAGA right wing cult that the Republican Party has become gets my vote for stupidest idiots, perhaps ever. I have to say that we made an effort this year to put a Democrat on this list. Is, Jamal Bowman is kind of like the sprig of know, parsley know, that you put on the ribeye. Yeah, I, um, I appreciated the token. Yeah, at the all-you-can-eat buffet. left out. You he is the iceberg lettuce at the front. Yes, go ahead. Lieb <laughs> Jayapal, who made idiotic statements in support of Hamas. Jayapal in particular, when asked about the sexual violence from Hamas on Israeli citizens, said there had to be a balance in our outrage. So yeah. I think you conveniently left out some pretty no, moronic right. Democrats. Uh, oh, yeah. My, and then there was the college, what about the college presidents? The college and presidents, the college presidents. Who, couldn't, who couldn't simply say, no, it's wrong. It's bad. That You know, I mean, that's a strong late entry there, Paul. I have to say, you may have me. Again, but the problem with going with the college presidents is that we have to sort of backdoor compliment Elise Stefanik. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know, know that I can do. I can go all the way. Alicia, Mia culpa. You're right. Pramila should have been top of the list. Right, that right was, up there. That was really bad. Rashida Taleb, right, right, just like on her heels. Also what, a massive idiot. What about Nikki Haley refusing to admit that slavery was the cause of the Civil War? That's a recent. That's a, that's a recent gaffe. entry. But that's a gaffe. That's not that's the same gaffe. thing. Do, I, yeah. do you think that bespeaks a larger underlying idiocy? I mean, I think okay. she's say, a right-wing maniac. I, I understand. This category really wants to be about sustained idiocy. Right. There, there needs to be systemic, a sense. Systemic, systemic <laughs> idiocy. The kind of person who would wear namaste, you guys, socks. That kind of person. <laughs> yeah, right. Not Mark Wayne Mullen, I would say. I Boy, this is a real murderous row. I can't choose. I mean, yeah, it's, the Joe Rogan guys thing choose. was funny. The Joe Rogan thing was funny. I mean, that, that was, was that just, was incredible. that was awesome. Pramila, Pramila, I can't, I don't know that I can ultimately choose someone, because I think, Paul, you actually make a real point that the weight of idiocy on the MAGA side is just so much greater that to pick, you know, one of the few leaves in the forest on the progressive side feels like a bit of a reach. But boy, I mean, Pramila, Rashida, mm. and the college presidents all making a pretty good run at it. Alicia, you're going to choose one of them, aren't you? I'm just going to choose anyone who sides with murderers than with innocent civilians. And that'll probably clump most of those people in there. Mm, but when good. you can't answer a question about, you know, is calling for genocide okay? Well, it depends on the context. So mm. I am going to say anyone who chooses murderers over innocent civilians gets my top of the list. And you know what? That encompasses Donald Trump because of his position on the insurrection. Yep. That also encompasses MTG. That's a strong vote. I like it. I'm going with that. You win. All right. Who won the year? No nominees. Just who won the year? Final category. 
I don't think we can decide. In my opinion, we won't know who won 2023 until the election of 2024 happens. Yeah, I it's this is it's too challenging. There's there's 2023 was a it was a big year, people. Not especially a great year, but a big year. And there's lots of candidates for who who won the year. I don't know, maybe actually speaking a little bit of what I think, maybe it's Volodymyr Zelensky, who, despite the corruption in UK, Ukraine and whatever else you may want to complain about, the fact that a stand-up comic turned into a leader who has sustained resistance to one of the great powers in this aggressive war of Putin's, has appeared repeatedly in his fatigues with, just like Castro used to do, but with a mission to convince the world and keep the world on Ukraine's side. It's really important. And what he has done and managed to do is pretty incredible. You know, I'll give a serious answer to this, which is, I think Alicia's right that it's a little bit of a TBD. And if we're not careful, we could look back in a year and say, Vladimir Putin won the year, that Hamas won the year, that evil people around the world won, in a sense. If the goodwill and solidarity that the world had with Israel gets squandered by its leaders, by Bibi Netanyahu, in the next few months through overreach, through through continued overreach in their response to Hamas, then they will hand Hamas a, a sustained victory. If we allow the forces in, I have to say it, mostly the Republican Party, although not exclusively, not exclusively across the Republican Party, I should say, to let us abandon Ukraine, then Vladimir Putin will have retroactively won the year. So I do think it's a little bit of work in progress. But all those serious answers aside, Paul, you said it before. She's Times Woman of the Year. $5 billion created from her era's tour alone in economic impact. Taylor Swift, she's like, she's got almost universal approval rating. Like, she won the year. She clearly won the year. All right, Paul. Just to clear Alicia. that up, there are MAGA people who are trying to, and this is funny, cancel Taylor Swift because she somehow came out and said she supported Joe Biden. So there's this effort, which will be the biggest failure ever, but to cancel Taylor Swift. Hey, can I steal a page from your rhetorical playbook and say, oh, please, I Donald Trump, go after Taylor. Come on, Don. I know you got it in you. Do it. He's a bigger star than you are, and she's richer than you are, too. All right. I think that wraps it up. What a year. I, Boy, I hope we remember it for good reasons. Any final thoughts? I think Happy we've done New it. Year. Happy New Year. All right. Let's, uh, have a, let's have a better New Year in 2024, people. More peaceful, more prosperous, more happiness. And, you know, just let's let's make it a better 2024. Yeah. Namaste, and, you guys. Namaste, namaste you guys. You guys. Our, right. Donald Trump in an orange jumpsuit, please. Well, all right. All right. For, on that happy note, for Paul and Alicia, I'm Matt. We will see you next year. 